This week's episode, I'm talking to Joe Touchner-Sharp, founder of the clothing company Scamp and Dude. With a long history in the world of fashion and beauty, Joe directed PR campaigns and arranged events for high-profile individuals and brands. But in 2015, her life was turned upside down when she suffered a brain hemorrhage and endured a lengthy stay in hospital. It was this moment that inspired Joe to create a brand that helped children feel more secure when apart from their loved ones, creating superpower-infused clothing for kids and grown-ups alike. Now stocked in Liberty and described by Vogue as their favourite new kids' clothing brand, Scamp and Dude is going from strength to strength due to the passion to create a brand with purpose at its core. I visited Jo in her North London home, from which she runs her business, where we chatted about the changing world of PR, how to combat the copiers, and how she turned the worst moment of her life into something that does so much good. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table, and since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi Joe, what a pleasure it is to sit with you today in your gorgeous home. I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time and we actually recently met in September when you kindly agreed to be one of my panellists at the Congregation of Inspiration. And by the way, you were phenomenal. The day was so magical and hearing you tell your story firsthand was a real treat. I've had so many people tell me afterwards that you were one of their highlights. Thank you so much for going to that and being with me. And thank you so much for today inviting me to this rather splendid home you have. Thank you for coming. It's so nice to have you here and to spend some time with you again. There's many, many things, actually, many topics I want to talk to you about, and I can't wait to cover, as you are a real inspiration to so many small business owners. And actually, when we get into it, your story is just inspirational. I want to start out by asking you about your first career. You started out in the fashion world and the beauty PR world. You actually used to own your own PR agency with incredible clients such as Tom Ford, Topshop, Estee Lauder. Could you start by telling us what led you to this career and what this time of your life was actually like? Yes. So I was a a kid looking at going to uni and my dad said, you should look at PR because you'd be a really good PR. Now, I didn't have a clue what PR was, but always kind of knew my dad knew what he was talking about. And so I thought, all right, I'll look at PR. And we looked into it some more and I thought, oh, this sounds great. Part of the course was a year's placement where you came to London working at various PR companies. I worked at Exposure. Um, I worked at Purple PR worked in the Diesel press office, the Paul Smith press office. And I'd got various job offers by the time from where I'd had my placement. 
and decided to join Purple. And I was the assistant. I was the one that opened up in the morning. I was the one that booked all the clothes in, sent all the clothes out to the magazine, steamed them all, unpacked them all, mounted all the press coverage, um, did the faxes because it was before email. (laughs) Basically, it was one computer that had email and everyone, all the others, we had faxes that we had to type out and print out and fax. It's baffling now remembering remembering that. Isn't it? Yeah. So in other worlds, but it was a huge amount of fun. Purple were really known for their events. I got to meet the most amazing people. We did an event where we had um, Pharrell playing and Justin Timberlake. We had Kylie. The amount of people that I got to meet by working there was unbelievable for a young 20-something whippersnapper. (laughs) It was, my my network was definitely, a lot of my network was thanks to Purple. And that then led you to starting your own PR agency? We were approached by a beauty brand and it was Ruby and Millie, if you remember Ruby and Millie Makeup. Yes, I do. And I, I was representing fashion brands at this time. So I looked after Jade Jagger, who I'm still in touch with now, who I've known for a very long time. And then we were approached by um, Ruby and Millie. And I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I love Ruby and Millie. I absolutely loved their makeup. And once I met Millie Kendall and Ruby Hammer, I was like, this is just, these girls are absolutely amazing. And that's when everything changed a little bit for me. I met all the beauty press. The beauty press was so much more down to earth than the fashion press. And we started getting approached by other beauty clients. SK2 Skincare wanted us to launch them in the UK. And suddenly I found myself starting to be in charge of more and more beauty brands. And in the end, I became the beauty director. Then I was approached by Estee Lauder to go over to work in-house for them and be the head of their press and Little did I know I would also become the head of press for Tom Ford Beauty as well while I was there. I learned a huge amount from them from a business point of view, so which was a real learn, you know, really good experience to learn. But I knew that I felt a little bit like a bird with my wings clipped there. And I thought, oh, I just, I love agency life. I want to go back to agency, but there wasn't another agency that I wanted to work for. So I thought, right, I'm going to set up, I'm going to do my own. And it's one of those things, I certainly mention it to a few people and some people will go, oh God, don't, there's too many agencies as it is, don't do it. And I get a little bit of a, oh, and then I think, oh, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to do something different. <laughs> I'm going to do a different agency. It'll be different. Yeah. So I decided to launch and I came up with the name, well, my mum actually came up with the name Beauty Scene. And I launched with a laptop with three clients before I launched. So I had Cowshed, the Soho House brand, Ruby and Millie. Paul Lebrecht, Luxury Hair Care, that's it. And then also the Brits Awards. So when I was at Estee Lauder, I'd taken Estee Lauder backstage at the Brits to kind of, part of my brief with Estee Lauder was to funk up Estee Lauder. So I'd gone to the Brits when I was leaving and setting up Beauty Scene and said, could you give me seven rooms backstage, seven of the dressing rooms backstage at the Brits and I'll turn it into a spa for you. And then the artists are all hanging around backstage. They're kind what of bored. A great idea. Then we'll provide facials, massage, manicures. Everything can be there and it's just entertaining for them. That was must have been about 15 years ago now. I'm still doing it now, the Brit Spa, by the way. So I can't give it up because it's so much fun. The Brit's team is so amazing. And yeah, that's, I'm still doing it. That's uh, it's, another one. It, it, yes, an, an, another <laughs> That's little, another story. Another story. Yeah. So how did it go? So you you set up? So I set up the agency and I had, um, it just went amazingly well. And we grew really, really quickly. And 
if I'm honest, I think we grew a little bit too quickly. And I look back and I think my happiest time was when there was just 10 of us in a small office. Um, and it was really, it was such a fun place to be and such a happy place. And that's when it was the, at my favourite part. And then I had kids and things, you know, things change when you've got kids as well and you've got a family and you've got this big agency. And I decided after my second child that it was time for me to leave and I wanted to do something different. And I had this feeling that I wanted to to start a brand, but I didn't know what it was. I was I thought I wanted to start a skincare brand with a friend of mine who's a big um, skincare blogger. And we'd started talking about it and talking about what we do. And the thought of having a brand was just so exciting to me. Um, but yeah. then <laughs> everything kind of changed for me in my life at, at that point. And, and that was, well, you hint there, but in, suddenly in 2015, your life really did completely turn upside down. You developed a serious twitch, which you thought might have been due to stress, which I can imagine running a big agency. Um, and it turned out to be something more serious. If you don't mind sharing your story, what that moment was like and that time in your life was like. Yeah, so I it was when um, I was leaving my agency. It's really, it's very hard and it's very emotional time and stressful to leave a business that you've created and that's yours. And I had this, I had this spasm in my face and I'd, I'd said to the whole team, you know, I've got this spasm. I need to to tie this up now and move on because, you know, I, my doctor said I'm too stressed and there's something, something bad could happen if I don't just kind of, you know, chill out a bit. So I moved on from the agency and I was, I was moving ahead with the skincare um, brand and I was so excited about creating it and it was I was literally couldn't put my computer down because I was so excited about developing each each different stage but this one day I had the most terrible headache and I couldn't even open my laptop and I thought oh god this must be bad if I don't even want to work and I was just lying on that sofa there and my husband was saying you need to get to the doctors this is not this is bad but like, this isn't and it, I don't know, but when it's you, you just think it'll be all right, it'll be all right. But I was taking ibuprofen and paracetamol and nothing was making any difference whatsoever. So I took myself off to my doctor's and I couldn't drive because I one of my eyes was closed and I just felt dreadful. So I took myself to the doctor's and they said, you need to get straight to the hospital. I think you have meningitis. So I went to the hospital and my husband and the kids were at home and I just said, that it'll be fine, it'll be nothing. Don't worry, you know, I'll speak to you in the morning. And then at one o'clock in the morning, a doctor came in and woke me up and said, um, have you got any history of cancer in your family? And I was like, what? And she said, we found a lump on your brain. And that was the moment that everything changed. And she basically spent time feeling my limbs and feeling fair lumps anywhere because she said often like brain cancer can be secondary cancer from somewhere else. And then she walked out and I was left in this grey, dark room on my own at one in the morning, just going, oh my God, my life's just changed forever. And I remember just looking, there's this heat sensor on the ceiling and I was just staring at it, feeling so kind of numb and just in complete shock, thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? And my, my boys were one and three at the time and I just thought, oh my God, they can't, they can't survive without me. Like what, what on earth is going to happen now? It was horrendous. And the next morning I found out that all the doctors came in to talk. There was quite a few that came to talk to me and they said, you've had a, a bleed on your brain um, and there's a lump, but we don't know what it is. So 
it could be a brain tumour. And if it is, we need to talk about whether we can do radiotherapy or um, if it's going to be brain surgery, or it could be a cavernoma, which is known as a blood tumour. And for that, we would need to, um, it would need to be brain surgery because obviously it could, you could have another hemorrhage and it could um, kill you next time straight away if it was a bigger one. So I had to be put to a specialist at the Queen's, um, Queen's Square Hospital and then had to wait. So had to wait to try and find out what this thing was and what they were going to do, do with it. So it was yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible time. It must have been, I mean, I, I really, uh, I'm trying to think what it must have been like and I can't. It must have been very, very, very scary. You had these two young children um, and it, it makes me actually think of a um, Baz Luhrmann song where the line is real troubles that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4pm on some idle Tuesday. Um, the moments that we just never think would actually happen. Yeah. You know, you're leaving the office and you just think, oh, terrible migraine and or whatever it was. Mm. And then it turns out to be something so awful. I've I've read so such heartbreaking moments in some of the interviews you've given. Your children were so young. It must have been incredibly frightening. How did you get through that? How did that moment in your life lead you to persevere and, you know, your healthy today um but that period of time must have been uh, shocking for, mm. for all reasons you had a skincare brand that you were hoping to start but you didn't end up starting that skincare brand you ended up s starting scamp and do just tell me about that so I think once it had happened I really kind of battened down the hatches and all I focused on was my kids my immediate family and my very very closest friends and it's almost I went into survival mode because I didn't know how long I'd have left. I knew I was going to have the surgery after in January because I wanted to have a, a Christmas with my kids and my parents if, it, if I wasn't going to have any more. And it's weird, like the world went very small and I just focused on them and I couldn't even think about business or anything. I just had to just think, I've just got to get through this for them. I've got to, I've got to beat this. That's how it went. And Christmas was a very emotional time. And New Year was very emotional as well. And went in to have the surgery on January the 4th. Saying goodbye to the kids was really horrendous. And had the surgery. And then I, I came out of it. And when, when I came out in intensive care, I remember my husband and my mum coming into intensive care to see me. And my husband said, you had this weird face on you that I've never seen before. It's like the proudest face you've ever had. And it's because I actually, I was so proud that I'd made it. I was like, and I said to my mum, I made it. And she was like, oh God. And I was just so excited by everything. And the nurses, I remember saying to one of the nurses, I really love your eyebrows. And she was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but I just was loving everything. Just thrilled. Yeah. And her cup of tea, I went, this is the best cup of tea I've ever had in my life. And she must have been thinking, okay, she's just very happy to be alive. Um, but I was, I was just so happy to be, to be there and to be having a second chance and just to be going, right, I've done it. I can get through this now. And then it was after that, I had 10 days where I was in hospital and couldn't see the boys because this side of my head was all shaved. I was cut from here to here, 20 staples. I looked like Frankenstein and my kids couldn't see me like that. So 
10 days to be away from your one and three-year-old is a really long time. And I'd never been away from them for longer than maybe two days before. So I lay there a lot of the time just thinking about what I wished had been around to make them feel better when we were apart. And I came up, it was part of just spending the time, I guess, and thinking of comfort. I came up with the idea of what now is my superhero sleep buddies. I thought, I wish I could have given them a superhero to watch over them. And I wish I could have given them like a cuddly toy superhero. And imagine if it had a pocket on the back and it could have had my photo in. So that I could have said, mommy's still here. I'm right there. And here's your superhero watching over you. And so that was the start of Scamp and Dude for me. It wasn't called Scamp and Dude there. It was just a little idea of some comfort for, for a child that's not with their parents. And as, as I was facing the surgery as well, one really big memorable moment was because I knew that I might not make it. It's a bit cliche where people talk about the golden gates, but it's true. You go there and you go, have I done enough good? Have I helped enough people? And I honestly thought, I don't think I have. I did a 10K run when my dad was ill and raised 2,000 pounds, which is great, but there's not, that's not a lot. <laughs> you know, that's not, and it definitely wasn't enough. When I thought that I might be at the end of my life, that definitely wasn't enough good. And I thought to myself, if I make it, whatever I do next is going to be helping people and it's going to be doing some more good. I want to be prouder than this of my life. Mm. I really need to make that happen. So as I started to recover, I thought I could make these sleep buddies and I could make, I could make them and I could donate one for everyone sold to a child who does lose a parent because that's what I was worried about, leaving my kids without a mum. And I could also donate them to children who have to be in hospital and have to be apart from their parents. And that's how it all started. So I came up with the name Scamp and Dude. It just came to me one day because I called Sonny is my scamp and Dude the Dude. It just seemed right that they were the reason that I was thinking of the brand was having to be apart from them, that it kind of had a slight nod to them. So I registered the company name in March and then I came up with the slogan, A Superhero Has My Back, which... I wanted to put on the back of T-shirts so that kids going to nursery or going to school or if they were going into hospital could wear them and they'd know that a superhero had their back. And for parents to know that too, because it's hard for us being separated from our children and going and sending them off saying, a superhero has your back, makes you feel better too. And then I came up with the idea of giving them all their own little superpower button. So all of our clothes have an embroidered neon bolt and it's called our superpower button. And kids compress it when they feel nervous or anxious or scared and they get a burst of superpowers. And we have a, on our swing tag, we have a list of superpowers they could get. Like it could be a bunny whisperer or a super cool shapeshifter, things like this. And there's all sorts of little tools we give to parents for saying if kids are really scared going to nursery or school, if they wear their sweatshirt as well. So you're wearing your Scampadoo sweatshirt when you drop them off, you can say, if you need mummy, press your, super, press your superpower button and I'll feel it and I'll send you back a hug. And it's so many parents have said they'd use that and it works really well for, they'll, you pick them up and they'll yeah. say, did you feel it? Did you feel it? And you go, yes. Did you get your hug? Yes. Great. And it's just little, oh, little ways yeah. of comforting children and also parents when they're feeling a bit rubbish. That's what started was thinking I want clothes as well, because when kids are not, when they're going to nursery, they're going to school, they can wear the clothes. And then it developed into, I wanted, I love leopard print. So I wanted a leopard print, but a superpower infused leopard print, which is my, why my leopard print has lightning bolts in it. It soon turned into a full on 
clothing line and adults because I made the kids sweatshirts and thought, oh my goodness, I want to wear them. So beavered away. And I think it was really good for me to have a focus, a get well focus. And it was focusing on this and the thought that I'd be helping people was what really made me better, I think. I was so tired of being ill because I felt so poorly from the hemorrhage, which was um, October. I felt so poorly from then up until the surgery that once I'd had the surgery, I was so over being ill. I was bored of it. I was like, I can't, I'm just going to get, and I was having the most terrible migraines. And I ended up back in hospital a couple of times because I think I was pushing myself too hard, but it was making me feel so much better. I had such a purpose and such a... A focus. A focus, well. yeah, yeah, to get going with it. And I was so passionate about it that it really helped me get better. Each week I sit down with a cup of tea and write my weekly Friday email, Holly's Desk Notes. I share everything I've been up to, thinking about or working on in the past week. I genuinely love it. And it's a real moment in my week when I stop, sit down and put pen to paper. You'll often find recommendations for my favourite small businesses and what they create, details of places or events I've been to or think you'd love, recent articles from our advice hub, the latest Holly Loves collections, or perhaps sharing what's been happening in my world outside of Holly & Co. Not only that, but by joining our email community, you'll be the first to hear about all the exciting updates throughout the year. Be that our shop independent campaigns, our tours across the country, and let's not forget the independent awards. If you'd love to hear our latest news, advice and inspiration, follow the link in the description below to join our newsletter community or head on over to holly.co where you can easily sign up. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. At the congregation, I launched my Good Life business model, where three circles, think of Venn diagram to those listening, which interlocked be good, feel good and do good. Be good, so you exude passion, uh, you have proper skill, have an ability no one else has and be really talented and expert at what you do. Feel good, taking care of your mental health, surround yourselves with great people, security, peace of mind, plan, and have good work practices. And doing good, just think about more than yourself. Think about how your time will make a difference to other people. Think about how your business can help other people. Who can you give a chance to? Can, can your brand actually change the world? And if you can have a business that does all three, the good life sits at the center and you can, I believe, feel at your happiest. I feel that your business is a fantastic role model there. Do you feel this? Do you feel that the experience has given you fulfillment? And what advice would you give to other small businesses who want to give back? I think 100% definitely. And I think it's right what you said about being at your happiest because I'm definitely at my happiest with Scamp and Dude because I was very happy in my other jobs as well. I've always been very happy in um, the roles I've had. But this one, it's 
completely different to anything else because it feels complete. It's like everything's come together and this is what I'm meant to be doing. And I would say to other small brands that it's having that purpose and and knowing that you're doing something that's making a difference, which does make everything worthwhile. So there are going to be some really hard times. You're going to work harder than you've ever worked before. But it's it's little moments where you're reminded of what you're doing and how it's helping other people that make it all worth it. Like it's uh, messages from parents who've been given a superhero sleep buddy at Great Ormond Street um, that's helped their child well, during their stay. It's there's a video. There's a a lady who actually I'm meeting. This is this is a nice little story. This lady posted a video on Instagram of her little boy. He has cerebral palsy. And she posted a video saying he's getting his superpowers before he walks. So he often walks with a frame, but when he has to practice walking without, he stood there and he presses his superpower button before he goes off to walk. And I, I was, she tagged me in it and I was absolutely floods of tears because that right there is showing me that what I've created is working and it's making a difference. And that's what it's all about. And I, I'm talking at an event tomorrow, in fact, and she messaged me and said, oh, it's my hometown. And I went, well, let's meet up. Can I meet you? Yeah. So we're going for a coffee and I'm going to meet How Freddie lovely. and I'm so excited. Yeah, that's little, little things like that uh, make it all worthwhile. And yet you, you touched on it. We work harder mm. than ever, right? Yes, I mean, definitely. It, it, I always, I find it so funny to anyone who has any illusion um, that starting a small business is a lifestyle choice or uh, the easier route. Yeah. And, you know, it really is blooming hard work your children are still little um and something I always ask small business owners is about that balance um not the word balance as in in your you know the 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 weighing scales which I I know we don't necessarily believe in but the juggle um and I want to sort of try and move that conversation on this sort of balancing act do you get asked that question a lot Mm. Um, and what would you say about that balancing act or the juggling so I, I often get asked it and people say, are you, you know, how are you juggling it all and how are you managing to do it? And I say, I am literally just surviving at the moment. And that is, I honestly feel like I am just about keeping it all together. And I have zero social life. So I, I never, ha- I don't do anything for myself. I don't have a social life. I haven't had my hair cut or coloured for nearly a year. You know, it's these kind of things where you go, anything to do with me has kind of, gone for a while it's all about my kids and my my family and my business and that's what I think you just have to that's what has to happen for a while and I think you can go as you grow I, I'm taking on an assistant who starts next month and I cannot wait because I'm hoping that will just make things a little bit more manageable I think bearable you, bearable <laughs> you just have to go through the stages I think yeah. and I've been there before when I had my other business and nearly broke me the first couple of years but I know you come out of it because as you grow and you can have more support and you have a team it does get easier but you've just got to put the time in and do that bit at the beginning because that's what running your own business is I think. I think it was interesting um, when I interviewed Johnny Bowden he mentioned how for him and I think it is something that we should um, be more aware of is there are sacrifices. Mm. For him he said that his business and his family came first And his friends would say 
that that is exactly the case, that they probably feel pretty abandoned. Mm. But if they love you, they understand and they know this is you. I often think it, you know, my one hand counts my dearest friends. And it's just, and it does feel like a stage. Although, Mm. as you know, from your first business, you do get into better places, but there are still always the compromises um, of running your own business. Um, You work from home and actually you told me just before this interview that you're moving to a small premises. But most British businesses, they all start from the kitchen table. I've just been sitting at your kitchen table having a nice cup of tea. NOS was built from a kitchen table. Um, When we started Holly & Co, I worked from my spare room with a tiny team for two years. Something I know can be a struggle, separating that sort of home life with that uh, stress-free life. I've heard the most brilliant stories of the whole household having to become a sort of operation production unit. But how do you divide that sort of when you've been working here, family life and work life? So I think when I first launched, I was packing all the orders myself because I had no idea what the quantities were going to be. And obviously, you're not going to pay for a fulfillment company when you first start out. You're like, I need to save as much money as I can. And and also, I wanted to be the one packing it because I was really excited to pack my orders. So at first, this room the living room became a storage room the boys ended up sharing a bedroom because Jude's bedroom turned into my storeroom and my packing room so you actually moved one child out yes <laughs> but they won't remember will they no but now no. they love it so much oh. they're together and even though we've oh. moved them out they still sleep in the same room they've got their ro- own rooms back but they refuse to be separated oh, that's so lovely. that makes me feel a bit better um but yes that was it was very much here until All I was doing all day long until two in the morning was packing orders. And Liberty Liberty said, can we see your next um, collection? And I went, oh God, next collection. I haven't even designed another collection because all I'm doing is packing orders. And my husband was like, isn't it really the best use of your time? I think we need to look for a fulfillment agency. So that was 18 months ago. And that was the best decision ever. And we've just actually moved from to another fulfillment agency, which has been going on this week to because we've outgrown the agency we were with and they just were not really coping with the amount of orders we were getting. So now we've gone to a bigger um, fulfillment company who do Charlotte Tilbury, um, House of Hackney, Jimmy Choo. So I know they're going to be able to cope with our growth because I need someone and I need it to be seamless. So We've just moved there, which has been quite stressful as well. That little warehouse move. (laughs) It's only Wednesday. (laughs) I'd love to talk. You actually mentioned it. One of the you you say one of the most exciting moments in your business was when you were first stopped um, by Liberty. I think that might be the ultimate accolade, actually, isn't it? The dream for so many small businesses. How did that come about? So that came about from. I was followed on Instagram by the beauty buyer of um, Liberty. And when I left my old PR agency, she contacted me on Instagram and just said, Joe, I'd love to know what you, what it is you're doing next. It might be worth a conversation. And I said, actually, it's not beauty. Um, it's kids. And she just replied saying, as fate would, ha- would have it, I'm now the head of kids and beauty. I was like, oh, my goodness. She went, come in and see me. She like, oh, my goodness. So I went in and I was really nervous because I'd never been in a buyer's meeting well, like nice. that. Yeah. I'd been in, I sat in on meetings with Estee Lauder where I was the PR telling them how I was going to promote the collection and this kind of thing. But I'd never had to sell, I never had to sell something that was so personal. And so 
And also I hadn't got any samples. All I had was my presentation that talked through my story, all of my designs, but they were drawings. So I went along to meet with her, took her through it. and, And as I told her the story behind the brand, I could see her eyes welling up and I thought, oh God, I hope she likes it. She, at the end of it, she just said, this is this is the most special thing I've heard in a very long time and I want to take it all. And I, my chin just literally hit the top of the table and I couldn't, I could not believe it. I was just trying to act cool, like pretending I knew what I was talking about, like going, well, how many do you think you might want? And when she told me how many sleep buddies she wanted, it was double what I'd actually ordered. <laughs> so I was like thinking, oh my goodness, must increase my quantities by quite a lot. Um, yeah, it was unbelievable. And when we left the meeting, I walked outside shaking and just burst into tears and rang my mum and dad and my husband just crying, going, they're taking it. It was almost as if everything mm. I'd gone through, it was like come to a, a head and it was going to be in liberty. I couldn't believe it. It was an absolutely amazing feeling. A really, really beautiful, uh, beautiful moment. Yeah. Um, how long was that? after starting your business I launched into Liberty that's how I how we launched and I still remember going in in there shaking on the bus because I could I couldn't believe it was happening and I walked in there and saw it and I was just so emotional because it was just I makes me feel emotional thinking of it now like seeing what you've created all there in Liberty was just it was unbelievable absolutely the most amazing feeling and I still feel it. I can't go past without popping in and checking it's all right. And the girl, we've been in there for two years now and the girls are so sweet. They're like, oh, hi, Joe. You all right? I'm just, just there going, checking. Just checking it's all right. It's just okay. checking it's still here. Yeah, exactly. It's still happening. <laughs> I always say to small businesses to, you know, as, as you just mentioned that little story there, you know, to cherish and celebrate these moments mm. along our journey. I mean, the moment in your life to be stopped by one of the most stylish, most prestigious, oldest retail emporiums in the world, as you said, it's going to stay with you forever. Just going into social media and talking about Instagram, you have a huge following and you've built this amazing community of loyal fans through your platform. How integral is it to your business and what advice would you give to small businesses looking to create something similar? I think Instagram for a business is absolutely essential. I think it's one of the most important things. After my own website shop, Instagram is the most important thing, I think. It's it's essential. And when I speak to small businesses and they say, oh, I don't really use Instagram, I just, I feel like it's like, it's like they've got a shop, but it's in the Sahara Desert. I think if, if you're not on Instagram, it's, you're not... Instagram is your storefront. It's your shop front. It's your, the face. It's a way of interacting with your customers. It's a way of telling your stories. It's a way of, it's, I love communicating with all of our customers on there and interacting and getting to know what they like, what they don't like. I love posting also things saying, what do you think of this color? Or do you like this color? And getting their opinion. And so I I feel like they all really feel like they're a part of Scamp and Dude because a lot of them have been following us from the start and feel really part of the journey. And they seem to really celebrate when we when we have successes, like when we win awards. We won um, Kids Brand of the Year uh, by Drapers, which was Gosh. amazing because that's such a big fashion institution yeah. that that was like, whoa, are you kidding me? But everyone was so excited for us. And any issues we've had with um, big brands copying us and IP issues... The support we've had from Instagram, the Instagram community 
has made everything okay. Like, it's so stressful when you go through something like that. And they... Virtual... Yes. It's like they're all giving you a massive team. hug. Like yeah. they're there with you. Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. they're a, we're all a massive team and they're there going, you can do this. Come on, you can do this. Because it can be lonely running your own business and you can feel quite little and vulnerable, especially when you're going up against mighty big corporate giants. And you can feel a bit David and Goliath, but then when you know you've got this huge community behind you, backing you the whole way, it keeps you going and it gives you that fight to go, no, I will not back down because I've got mm. these guys behind me and they're making yeah. me feel much stronger. They have your back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They had to, Instagram totally has my back, which is very well, special. We both started off actually, didn't we, in worlds where only we had glossy magazines. Yes. Yeah. So you were talking about the facts, you know. Um, yeah. I, I remember, and I've, I've said it before, where people used to ask me if they needed a computer to join not in the high Um So, you know, it's it, it's changed, hasn't yeah. it? The landscape has changed dramatically due to social media. And from your background in PR, I was just wanting to touch on these changes and how we've both witnessed them and what ways you feel that small businesses can amplify what they do. Mm. You know, is is press still alive? Is, there, is it all about social media? So I think it's changed. It's completely changed. Even in the last five years, it's completely changed. I think print media still definitely has a place and there's a lot of credibility that comes with print media and I think you you can tell really tell stories through print media too because you can have a feature that really goes far more in depth than someone just saying I'm wearing this sweatshirt or I like this or but what I tend to find is that when it comes to a return on investment I don't see the sales from print media like I do with social so Instagram is where I see most of my direct sales coming from when it when an influencer is wearing a sweatshirt or even when I just post myself on the Scamp and Dude um, Instagram. When it comes to what I think is different and what's really great for small brands now is you don't have to pay a PR agency to do it for you because all of the journalists and all the influencers are on social media. So I think social media has made it so much more um, manageable for to be able to reach out and get that coverage yourself, whether it's print, influencers, blogs, whatever it might be, but you can do it yourself now. And what do you feel about influencers? What Have influencers played a vital role in your business? And I always, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence about, um, because I like to build things into my business that are long-term. Do you feel that influencers is a long-term sort of strategy for a, for a small business? I think influencers have played a very important role in my my business but it's been done in a very natural personal way like I don't target big influencers who I don't know I work I get to know influencers build a relationship with influencers decide that that I like them and I like what they're messaging and what they're doing and it fits with my brand and my ethos and then when I have a relationship then they might want to promote me by wearing my clothes but it's not a paid for please put this on to just because you've got a million followers. I don't, that feels uneasy to me. It's more of a, if someone buys into my brand and my story and what I'm all around and they want to support and they're the right kind of person for me, then that definitely has to be genuine for me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's where I feel that it works the most, that mm. people want to wear what you've created. And I suppose when I've 
mention about influencers. It's more where I've seen people pay, um, where businesses write down a load of people, it's going to cost this much money Mm. for them to put that product out there for that many people. And I'm just thinking, well, what happens if, you know, these people aren't influencers the next day? How how has this helped the, yeah. the organisation? So I think it's a great point that it has to be um, genuine. Something that I know that you feel um, that you've actually become an expert in, and it's, it's a pity that you've had to become an expert in it, but I know that a lot of small businesses deal with these issues, and I'm very, very keen to hear you talk about this, is the issue of copying. You were famously, as in it was in all the papers, copied by Asda back in February, and this is where the power of small is so strong. As when it happened, I remembered Instagram, it was just flooded by your image of the kids jump with a superhero has your back and people reposting and supporting you. As does since remove that item from sale, but then unbelievably you were copied by Next and you've just fought them and you've won and they're giving their profits to children's charity. I just can't quite believe you've had to encounter this twice so far in such a short period of time. But you're a shining beacon of hope for small businesses who think that there's no hope in taking on the big retailers. You've done it twice in one. I'd love you just to talk about that and how it felt um, and maybe to give strength to others to fight it. I think when when it first happens and you first see that picture, it it really is like being hit in the face. Uh, it's like someone stabbing you in the heart because you've done all that work, your heart and soul's gone into it. And then you see a big brand just casually replicating it and it's it hurts so much it's I mean I think I've heard from other people who say it hurts less the more it happens I'm like oh well, that's something to look forward to <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, light. Yeah, yeah. what light <laughs> yeah um but I think it's quite interesting because I was interviewed by the BBC for BBC stories about IP and I had there was five of us around the table at different ages and all small brand owners and some of them some of the girls who are a bit younger have brands who have been copied by people and they've done nothing about it because they've been afraid of lawyers they've been afraid of the cost of lawyers they've been intimidated by the thought of never beating a big brand and so they've not stood up for themselves and it was bewildering for me but then I have to remember that I'm a lot older than they are I've been in the industry a long time so I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to stand up for myself. But these young girls are terrified and it's happening so much and it's happening. It feels like it's happening more and more and more. And I tried to explain to them all, unless everyone stands up for themselves when this happens, it's going to keep happening and keep happening. And so much of my time seems to be spent dealing with lawyers and sorting out IP issues that really I should be focusing on new charity campaigns and new collections and growing my brand. And and instead I'm dealing with lawyers and, and sorting out IP issues. And it's, it isn't just the big brands. We have an incident where there's a small brand launching who has replicated every single part of the business. And it's so upsetting to see a small brand doing that. It's There needs to be more legislation where it comes to what's, what you can and can't do. Like it needs to be more readily available that people know what's right and what's wrong. 
And then also that if it happens to you, what what you do. Like but none of the people that I was talking to on the BBC interview, none of them knew about ACID, so anti-copying in design, where you can go to them and get advice. No one knew. No one knew that there are lawyers that do pro bono, so you won't have to pay anything in, in, until you win the case. And also there's a University of Aston where they have their legal department they're offering free legal services because they want to teach the students using some live cases. So there's so many places where you can get great advice and get help if this happens. But I'm just kind of trying to urge people to stand up for themselves because it's it, it's unbelievable how much has happened. And I think since I've had two quite high profile cases, I'm tagged in. It seems to me that every time someone's copied now, someone tags me in it and I try and reach out and say, if you want to talk, I'll talk and I can try and give you any advice. I'm I'm not uh, a lawyer, but I've been through it so I can try and help if I, if I possibly can. But it's so sad to see it happening so often. I couldn't agree with you more. Everyone has to stand up to it because otherwise it's not going to go away. Yeah. But one thing that I'm very disappointed about is when small businesses copy small businesses. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's, you know, expected by the big businesses, but there's just something else when uh, a small business who knows what goes in. So it's just, you know, have original ideas, have original ideas, protect your idea. And you are going to have much more of a chance of having a fantastic business that way than just chasing your tail. It can't feel good to copy mm. as well. It can't feel settling. Yeah. So you've had a lot of people, um, exciting people, wear your clothes. What would you say has been your most exciting moment? I think, well, one of the first was when uh, Robbie Williams popped up wearing one of my sweatshirts on Instagram. Oh, that was quite cool. pretty, pretty cool. Like the 16-year-old self. My 16-year-old self was very excited about that. <laughs> and we've done, I've recently done a collaboration with five of my big um, beauty industry fr industry friends. And it was really exciting to do that with them. Sally Hughes, Caroline Hirons, Ruby Hammer, um, Sam Chapman and Ruth Crilly. And I have a new campaign launching very, very soon, which I'm launching some scarves and they're called super scarves. And we just did the shoot yesterday and Billy Piper's modeled them for me to show her support. Because for these scarves, for everyone sold, one will be donated to either a woman with cancer or a mother of a child with cancer. Mm. So think the thinking of it behind the woman is that she can tie it around her head if she mm -hmm. loses her hair. But she can also use it as a comfort blanket. Like when I was poorly in hospital, I had this big scarf that I just wrapped myself around in because it's just comforting and it's from home and it's yours. And and then also I've built so many relationships with mothers of children who are very poorly since having Scamp and Dude. And I wanted to be able to offer something to them as well for a bit of comfort and to know that someone has their back and someone's thinking of them. So I had a, a mother of one of the little boys who's very poorly come and be in the shoot yesterday as well. And also the bowel babe. I don't know if you know her. No, she's a she's a great girl who has bowel cancer, and she's very much campaigning to make make it more um, kind spoken of spoken about. So, yeah, that yeah. you talk about poo and <laughs> checking your poo and things. Yes. So it's kind of pulling people together, and just I think people kind of see Scamp and Dude as a bit of a good luck charm, and so many women wear their Scamp and Dude 
um, sweatshirts before when they're going for chemo or if they're going for a hospital appointment and they send me pictures of them having chemo in their sweatshirts and I love the thought that it's giving them that kind of that little boost and a bit of good luck and they're feeling like a superhero's got their back so I wanted the scarves to be able to gift them legitimately gift them something because I've anyone that contacts me and I've been going oh my goodness they're in hospital and they're having this operation and I end up sending them a sweatshirt and my my accountant had said, right, you've spent £3,000 on sending sweatshirts to women that aren't very well. That's very kind, but you know, it, do, should we really be putting in a business model that's yeah, <laughs> that's sustainable? Yeah, this is a business, yeah. So uh, that's yeah. why I launched the oh, scarves, so that it's, it's I can do it without thinking about the accountant on my yes, tails. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you've made them happy now. Yeah, you, exactly. You can now do this bit in another way. Yeah. I recently um, interviewed Molly from Selfish Mother, um, and uh, who spoke about her jumpers and and she said um, that Kate Moss was you know who she pictured as the pinnacle um, and then a few months later it actually happened. I there saw was, it. It's amazing. Yeah, what a picture. Yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting that this podcast has that power, by the way. <laughs> oh my but God. who would you like to wear one of your jumpers? Oh, there's a few people that I've thought oh, I'd love to see them in one of my sweatshirts. I mean. I love Drew Barrymore. Yes. I think she's just awesome. I love Liv Tyler. There's Kate Winslet. There's all sorts of women. I think a scamp and dude woman is, they're, they're usually a mother, not always, but they've got a good heart and there's a there's a softness to them and a, a goodness to them. I also really like Claudia Winkleman. Yes. I love her. Oh, I know. Yeah, she needs to she's, have one of my okay. sweatshirts. Okay, okay. So we've got we've got a f- four there. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Okay. Let's see. We've, we've put it out there now. Yeah. Um, I always use the analogy that running your own small business is like being on just one heck of a roller coaster. And for you, absolutely. What's been one of your proudest moments, greatest highs so far in this journey? I would say definitely launching into Liberty. Um, launching into Harrods was also really pretty cool. Pretty cool. I think winning the Draper's Award as well was, that was really amazing because it was a real industry accolade as well. So that meant a lot, uh, meant a lot to me. I think, I think being asked to get involved with Facebook and Instagram, I've done lots of events with them lately and that's amazing that they're asking me to do that. It's kind of I think I've had quite a lot of pinch myself moments since I've had Scamp and Dude. And this is what I love is you never know what's going to happen next. And I fe- seem to have open emails where I'm just going, oh, my goodness. Where I'm going, I can't believe this is happening so often. Quick call which, to the husband yeah, or mum like, or dad. Oh, my God, guess what's happened now? <laughs> it feels like that. It's a very exciting um yeah, way to live, really. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And it's a nice balance to all the hard work you have to put in, yeah, exactly. you know, to have those moments. And I'm wondering what you would consider to be one of your lowest moments in this journey. I think it has to be the copying. It's um, it's really, 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 really hard. And I'm not very good when I know something's really wrong. I'm very kind of, what's the word? I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And I'm, I will always be on, I would always do what's right. And so when people don't, I find it so hard to kind of understand it and I find it bewildering and it's, it's, it can, it can hurt. Well, 
It's just been such a pleasure. I know how much support, advice and inspiration your story is going to give our listeners. It's people like you that make me want to actually start this podcast to share real life stories, to share the ups and downs. And you're certainly a superhero, Joe. Um, certainly to me. Um, your determination, your passion for helping others, your drive to make the world a better place to help people outside of yourself is just inspiring. Um, so thank you really very much for being you. Thank you. But first, before we go, I know you've prepared a letter to your younger self and I would love you to read it to us. And so I leave it, I leave it to you, Joe. Okay, here we go. So dear 16-year-old Joe, I'm not going to tell you to change too much because everything you go through will make you who you are today. But I want to give you a few little pointers that may save you some tears and some teeth. Firstly, <laughs> you need to appreciate how lucky you are. You don't know this yet, but not everyone has parents as amazing as yours. Appreciate them and listen to them, as they talk so much sense and will guide you through all the important stages of your life. I know you're currently in sixth form, in a small country town, craving more excitement. You know there's a big, exciting world out there, and you watch smash hits poll winners party, dreaming of working in the music industry and hanging out with Take That. Let me tell you, one day you will. You'll do both of those things. And one night you'll even have dinner with Mark Owen. And I can imagine the look on your face hearing that. But you'll soon realise that the glitz and glamour and the world of celebrity isn't what's real or important. It's your family that matters the most. Trust your intuition. This is one of the most important things you have. Listen to your gut. I promise it will never let you down. Other people will try to put you off following your dreams, but luckily for you, you won't listen to them. A couple of tips for when you go to university. Number one, signing up to the Territorial Army thinking it's a good way to get fit is definitely not a good idea. Number two, never ever drink cider. Cider is not your friend. I know it's only 50p a pint at university bar, but promise me you'll never drink it. Your front tooth will thank you for that. <laughs> Remember that life is short, so live it. Have adventures, push yourself, see the world as much as you can, especially before you have kids. Take risks and work hard. Don't worry if you feel intimidated at times. If you're not a little scared by what you're doing, then you aren't pushing yourself enough. A little fear is good. Meet as many people as you possibly can. You thrive off meeting new people and hearing their stories. Relationships are so important and it's your network that will open so many doors throughout your career. You are always kind and you're very loyal. These are two of your best qualities, but don't let people take advantage of them because they will definitely try. You will have children, so don't waste time worrying that you won't. But promise me that when you're pregnant with your first child, instead of wasting hours watching one born every minute, you'll read some books on how to get through the first few months. Also read all the sleep guides as sleep deprivation will break you and your kids will not sleep. No one can survive on two hours sleep a night, however rock hard you think you are. Remember that it isn't how important or powerful you are or think you are, what ridiculous title you give yourself or how many followers you have. It's about how you behave, what a difference you're making and how you make others feel. One day you'll go through a life-changing event that will force you to look back over your life and ask yourself if you've done enough good and if you've helped enough people. <laughs> 
So bear this in mind as you live your life. You can have all the fun you want to, but let me tell you, it feels really good to know that you're helping people along the way. And this is something that means a lot to you. You haven't figured this out yet, but believe me, one day you will. Thank you very, very much. I think one of the things I'm going to take away is, am I doing enough good? And, you know, and I think anyone listening to your story, what you've been through, really will have to be asking themselves that. And I think you've encouraged and inspired us. And I've won just want to thank you so much for that and thank you for telling your story so beautifully. Thank you, Joe. Thanks thank for having you. me. If you've enjoyed this episode with Joe, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with Henrietta Morrison, founder of Lily's Kitchen. You can find any of my past episodes by searching wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed listening, if it's helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.